Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes uncomfortable secrets of category creation in the B2B software space. On this week's episode, we have Lars Gronegard Hansen, co-founder and CEO of Dream Data, and Garen Hess, CEO and founder of Consensus, with a special guest host, me, Jason Whittup, VP of Marketing at Metadata. Hey, everybody. Jason Whittup here. Welcome to the next episode of B2B Category Creators. Usually, it's my boss and CEO, Gil Alouche, that's hosting it. I have the pleasure today of hosting it, and I've got two great guests. We're going to talk all about category creation, some of the experiences that each of us have had. Um, so before we get started, I will introduce our guests, and then we'll roll right into it. So Lars from Dream Data, why don't you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your company? Hey, uh, I'm Lars from Dream Data, and thanks for having me on, on the podcast, Jason. It's awesome to be here. And... Um, yeah, I am CEO and co-founder of a company called Dream Data. We're based uh, out of Copenhagen, Denmark, and we are working in the category of uh, B2B revenue attribution and um, yeah, taking, a, I think, a, a different approach to that category than what some of our competitors are, and I'm looking forward to talking about that. Also, before that, I was um, SVP product at a company called Trustpilot. I was in the... Um, um, review space where we also did a lot of category work that I'd also be glad to talk about. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And we also have Garen Hess, founder and CEO of Consensus. Garen, why don't you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your company? Well, thanks, Jason. And Lars, it's great to be on this podcast with both of you. So I'm the CEO and founder of Consensus. And Consensus is what we call intelligent demo automation software. So the idea is that we help scale pre-sales teams. So they pre-sales teams will build interactive video demos, kind of this reusable library that the sales teams sends out on demand ahead of calls. So, and, and really the goal is to enable the buyers to move more quickly through their buying process. And, um, and, and this is in, the category creation question is so interesting to me because we've been wanting to create a category for, I don't know, seven years. And it's finally happening, which is what's exciting. Why I'm excited to be on this podcast because, um, you know, we, we came up with this phrase demo automation and just hoping that somehow that would become the category. And lo and behold, um, seven years later, that's what's happening. And I think nice. we feel pretty fortunate that the, the phrase we coined was, was what's, um, you know, what the, the category is turning out to be called, but we're still in the early stages of getting the category formed. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm still in the learning curve just as much as anybody. Nice. Well, I feel kind of lucky because I know both of your spaces at least decently well. I'm obviously a marketer, so I play in both of these areas. Um, and so I think we'll have a great conversation. Um, and we'll start with, um, we'll start with why. So everyone says like, oh, you don't want to create a new category. It's the hardest thing you'll, you'll do if, you're, if that's your marketing strategy, just like hold on, buckle down and get ready for like a ride and yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> and so if that is true, why would we do, 
why would we go and create a new category? Like, why would that become a strategy? Lars, what are your thoughts on it? Even if you haven't done it that way, like why would yeah. people, <laughs> why would they do it that, you know, why would we? I think like the, the, the desire to create a category is obviously like if you create the category, there's a large chance that you'd be the winner in the category. And if it's depending on the size of the category, that can be a very attractive space to be in, right? I would say our space, B2B revenue attribution, um, is not a new category. We're not as such, I wouldn't define us as category creators because you know there's been players in this space also before us. We found it in 2018. Um, but I think then it's like about like, I think when we started out, we looked at the, like, you know, the Martech 5,000, um, I think everybody who's in yep. this space, whether they're in leaning towards sales or towards marketing, they know that. And it's a scary visualization because what it says is really, Hey, there's like 10,000 logos there and that's not counting local players. And you zoom in and you zoom in and you zoom in and, and you find your little logo there. And, um, yeah, like how do you compete in a space like that? Obviously you need, can you create a category that's a chance, like that's what Garen's doing. I think for us right now, the strategy is to carve out, like redefine this category. It's usually called uh, marketing attribution. So we redefine it, try to rephrase it as mm -hmm. revenue attribution, sort of focus on the outcomes instead. And then we're basically trying to win that category by doing things differently, right? So, yeah. So it sounds like you're trying to, it sounds like your strategy is really to, you saw an existing category, you felt it wasn't being served well. Exactly. So your strategy sounds like to get in there, I think shake it up a little saw, bit. So a lot of things in that category that didn't feel right. So it was like attribution is like in some cases very much seen as like justification and like competing for a credit or a honor or whatever. And I never felt that that was a very good way of doing things. I always thought that, hey, it's a tool. It's something that you should like, you should have it so that you can get your CFO to like invest yet tons of money into your, into your go to market so you can make more money for your business, right? You should be a revenue driver. Um, and I think I, we thought that the players in the space didn't really serve that ambition at all. And then there was like a lot of like, we had a lot of issues with the way that the technology worked. It, like we came from yeah. another business where we wanted to do this and we couldn't do it with the products that were out there. So it's like, we're more sort of trying to reshape a category. And then I would say outside of that, we might have a dream of a bigger category. Um, but right now we're focusing on winning that sort of we're trying to be a big fish in a small pond, you can say, but it's like a yeah. small pond can still be fairly big, right? I like it, you know, and um, as a marketer and, you know, as a marketing ops person, really by experience for most of my career, I'm really heavily focused. I've been heavily focused on attribution. I built my own mark, like attribution models. I spent a quarter of a million dollars when I was at Tableau with consultants and Markov chain modeling and like all this crazy stuff and like got down to the point where it told me it was like, well, what am I getting from this? Well, oh, paid search got 23.57% of the credit for that deal. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's like, so I like where you're heading with it. You know, the revenue part, it's not just about getting credit for it. So that sounds great. And that does sound like there's a place to shake that up. Garen, why did you guys take that approach? And was it, you were talking about seven years ago and finally it's happening now. Was that your strategy seven years ago? Or were you like, this category doesn't exist, so let's call it this? Or like, maybe walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, I think this question of why create a category is 
is really important. Um, and, and one of the reasons that fits our story is when you have something so innovative that there is no category, then everybody tries to lump you into categories where you don't fit. And because of that, you're, you can't, it's hard to compete with what they're looking for. So as an example, we would get lumped into marketing automation or sales enablement or something else. And, oh, wow. and then people look at four, four tools, you know, it's like, let's look at three, three sales enablement tools and then consensus. Like it doesn't make sense because while we are part of the sales process, what we're really trying to do is enable the buyers and, and through that process scale sales engineering, right? But yeah. what tools have been created for sales engineering? Like if you think about all the money rolled into marketing automation, into sales enablement, hundreds of billions of dollars, um, mostly misspent, but a lot of it spent well too. Uh, what percentage of that was poured into helping sales engineers be more effective? Absolutely zero. Um, well, I shouldn't say now, but two, two, three years ago when we, when we really finally got focused on, on creating this category. And, and, the, and it's surprising because sales engineers, um, the data shows that every sales engineer on average services four other sales people. So, um, and the sales engineer, for, for anyone in the audience who may not really understand that term, it's the highly technical product expert and solution-minded consultant that comes in uh, traditionally at the end of the conversation, sales conversation, to help close the deal, help the customer have the confidence that the, the solution provider can actually deliver. Um, but now they're getting stretched across the entire funnel. Um, buyers want, and they want, there's, a, there's an interesting phrase that Gartner came up with in, in this, um, this research note that said that buyers want information that cannot be easily faked, <laughs> right? Mm, so they want yeah, highly yeah. rich in technical detail and can't be easily faked. Well, that is sales engineering data. I mean, information. Um, it's, it's product demonstrations. It's answering questions about how does this product integrate with this or what have you. And so so one of the key challenges when you when you have a highly innovative solution is there is no category for it. And because of that, you're you're naturally just kind of floating out here away from everybody else. And because the the market's constantly trying to fit you somewhere, they're just gonna stick you someplace you don't belong. And you're never gonna win there because you don't belong there, right? So you have to create your own battlefield. And the problem is if you create a battlefield and there's only one person on it, everybody thinks. Uh, that's just like some misfit over there. You know, everybody's fighting over here and over on this field over here, there's just one lone misfit. <laughs> and yeah. and now occasionally the early adopters will go over and say, Hey, what you got going on misfit, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, and yeah. some of them get excited about it, but they don't realize um, there's no battle going on. And because there's no battle, nobody wants to join the fight. And so when it comes to category creation, the, the real thing is you're trying to get everyone in the, in the target market to realize that everybody needs one of these solutions, right? Instead of just, do we need consensus to help automate demos and scale pre-sales? It's, we need a demo automation platform. Which one should it be? And because of that, you get this, instead of just this little sliver of early adopters, you get the massive, you know, the, the traditional early, early majority, all those, right, that come later. Yep. And, um, and then uh, every, everybody in the category, uh, moves faster and and there's a better outcome for everybody um, and then of course as Lars said if you create the category then theoretically you have an option a potential of, of leading that category which isn't always uh, always true in fact it's kind of dangerous to be first in some ways because you plow the 
roads and then people can drive on them really fast after you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, that's yeah, that's that's kind of how I, I think about it. How nice. you, one thing that I think about that because I think when we started out, we were not probably not very professional. And we were, I don't think we came from this place that it was trust pilot, it was like uh, reviews. There was a category for that, but we were definitely not in the category of, of like online reviews because we were doing like the, the sort of players in the in, in that space. They were power reviews and the SAR voice, and they were like SaaS solutions. And we were right. like a two-sided marketplace for reviews. And so we didn't really fit. We were mm. same kind of product as say Yelp or TripAdvisor or sort of more of like a two-sided like you, you had a business that like, attract a lot of consumers writing reviews, and then you had a business with some businesses, you know, selling something. Yep. And so, so it, it, it wasn't a such category creation or like there was just Trustpilot really in that space. There wasn't really anything else, which was, of course, super nice. But when well, Trustpilot really, I mean, it was related to category, right? So like yeah. Trustpilot, the G2s, they have to come up with like, what are the categories that we're going to yeah. have reviews totally. in, you know? And like, and what I've noticed too, like, for example, we fell into, I think what Garen, you were talking about where when I joined, we were in the ABM technology category, you know, it was just like, we were there and I asked Gil, I was like, did we put ourselves there? You know, he's like, no, I don't know how we ended up there. Right. So I was like, ah, I <laughs> exactly. And I think that's exactly what happened. And so it's just interesting that that's one of the ways that you can get stuck. You know what I mean? And one of the reasons why yeah. you do want it, because I think it's also right in that we were innovative. You know, there wasn't another solution like us out there. Um, and so I think there was confusion. It's like, and without that category to put you in, it's like, well, how do I think about you? And this goes, I think, to the budget piece, which I think is interesting about category, because I think one of the ultimate reasons we talk about categories because that's how people budget you know and so it's like um if yes. I, I have i i have a abm technology line item but i don't have a metadata line item or a six right. or a terminus line exactly item. it's so, just a, an expected abm is an expected thing now as right. yeah yep yep and so <laughs> that's kind of what i'm seeing is where so as i'm thinking about the new category whatever it might be and that's the other thing we don't know we don't know what the name is yet it's like where am i pulling it's not like all of a sudden companies are just going to get a bunch of new budget they might you know to spend on new categories but most likely not <laughs> and yep. so we're trying to think where do we pull from you know yeah because like a full third of our customers also have an abm technology you know what i mean and then so like is it agencies? You know, are we trying to take it, which makes a little bit more sense from us? Because like, if you're a technology, then are you trying to replace human, you know, work? Yes, maybe that makes sense. So yeah, that's like a little bit of the struggle that we're in now too. Well, and that, that I think is what you have to figure out until the category gets created, right? Because to your point, once the category is created, you become at least more and more frequently a budget item, at least the category does. And then because you're not the lone misfit on the field and you've got other competitors, then everybody feels like, oh, I need one of those rather than do I yeah. need do I need a X, Y, or Z, whatever the category is, and in our case, demo automation tool or demo automation platform. And and until then, you have to go look for for people to, and even even now, because our category is just forming, and I'm actually glad to finally see competitors, right? It used to be right. I was a little yeah. nervous. Yeah. And I'm fine. Finally, there's competitors because then everybody people are saying, I need one of these. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. it just creates more of that. So, but what we would do in our in our space was because 
there, there are a couple of ways to talk about ROI, which was scaling pre-sales, you can do more with the same headcount then sometimes the, the, the budget would come from, well, we have 10, 10 headcount budgeted for next year. So we're gonna take two of those headcount and purchase consensus, and then we'll keep hiring the other eight, right? Something like yeah. that. But it's also just cobbling together. Sometimes I have to go to the marketing team and try to convince them that this is gonna benefit marketing, which it can, but uh, yeah. you know, sales team, do you guys have any budget, <laughs> right? Because we yeah, sell into yeah. this, the pre-sales team. And, and generally speaking, pre-sales wasn't given a budget at all for right. technology because nobody was building it for them. So it, you have to get really creative. Um, and that's one of the key things we have to teach our, our, our new sales reps is if they say they don't have budget, right? Where can they go to find it? Because they aren't, the pre-sales teams typically aren't assigned technology budgets. Right, right. Um, Lars, um, B2B revenue attribution or just like marketing attribution. So you're playing in that category um, it's an existing category. So what are you trying to do differently? Like, so what is your strategy to try and like break that up a little bit and then either lead a new, you know, different one? Is it really that, hey, I picked the B2B revenue attribution. We're going to stick with that and we're going to try and create that a new one. Or do you know that like, oh, that's still too close. So talk a little bit about like how you're thinking about that as a category. Oh, and also like is B2B, is is marketing attribution a line item today or is it mixed in with like analytics and you know other other categories yeah i mean i think because it, it is this category forming or does it exist it, we definitely have a feeling we've been in the market for just 2 years so you know it's hard for us to say is this sort of us becoming more and more known getting better at what we're doing or is it also the category sort of I don't know if it's reappearing, um, mm -hmm. but it's definitely something that is now on on sort of the purchase list for a lot of B2B marketers is like oh, okay. um, attribution platform, attribution system. Uh, and that is sort of alongside marketing uh, analytics. So it's seen as something specific, yeah. something that's needed. So I think Great. whether it's a category sort of forming or it's just it's hard to say but it's definitely on the rise it's something it's also like if you go and look at sort of what are people purchasing at the moment in in, in marketing departments this is something that is sort of going up and up and up right i think maybe like people are like um e-commerce capabilities is, is outranking this but it's it's right there at the top with customer data platforms and yeah the other sort of top items people want to buy so yeah it, but 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 the thing is, I think our take on category was because initially we were sort of probably more ambitious on the category side and wanted to mm. do sort of our own category. Yeah. And then for us, the choice to sort of say, okay, let's for a while at least play in this existing category was also just a very pragmatic one. Like how do you generate yeah. revenue if you actually play into category where there is demand? Uh, and I would say like we're in Europe but we also sell into the US and, and in the US there's lots of demand for this because you have marketers yeah. that bought this type of product once and they might be tired of the solution they bought, now they're buying again in the new company. So there is demand. Whereas if you're sort of trying to hit or uh, build up this and you must have experienced that, Karen, and I, I can hear from what you say, that that's the experience. It's like, it's hard to find someone to buy your product. Like we can actually, we can actually buy AdWords 
uh, and have sort of high intent bias come in because they're looking for a solution, right? And that's the advantage of like yeah. targeting an existing category and trying to reconfigure that. Yeah. Um, of course, maybe the upside will not be as insane, right? It depends on the size of the category. Sure. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, our take on it has been um, one of sort of because the, the, the main impetus came from us not sort of fitting the existing solutions into our tech stack where we were before. And that was a lot about sort of integrating with a modern uh, data layer. Mm -hmm. So we used segment, nothing worked with segment. We used like lots of go-to-market tools and like the solutions that were out that might work with one of them. So the only solution really was just, okay, you have to build it yourself. Like you say you did. Um, that was the only solution, right? If you wanted yeah. something to work. So I think that was one thing. And then the other thing was this sort of going from like a defensive position of saying, hey, I'm going to justify marketing's value in in the company to more, much more sort of offensive, whereas like yeah. or playing offense, like, hey, we are going to generate a lot of revenue. Yes. Uh, yes. We're going to give yep. these people the tools uh, so that they can optimize all their activities towards revenue instead of sort of vanity metrics or whatever they were used to. So I think yeah. that's the take we have on it. Um, I love that. And I love the, I mean, if you're doing like this. Thing that, like another thing that we were really sort of, and I think that's sort of like how you are as a buyer of products. I hate when you can't, and I'm sorry, if I, I'm not saying <laughs> this to piss anybody up, but I, I want to try a product. Yeah. Uh, I want to like, if at all, I, I get that sometimes you can't. And like, sometimes you're so yeah. early stage, you can't deliver it like a, like a fully functional trial, but um, we felt that the existing solutions were like you, you could get on a demo and then you'd have to like write an insane, like giant check and then pray that it would work. And that yeah. wasn't like right, how right, we'd right. like to buy software. We wanted, so I think yeah. like the yep. actual go-to-market motion that you do is also sort of a very big differentiator in the category, depending on how other people's play in that, right? Yeah, and if you have a, if you actually do have a way to try your software and attribution software before they buy it, kudos to you because I know that's a difficult one. Sometimes just like stitch in all the data, you know what I mean, and like get somebody. Yeah. And that's our actually our challenge right now. We don't offer a, a POC or a free trial right now. A lot of it because we're early stage, but also there's a lot of overhead involved in getting people onboarded into the platform, and then. What we do know about it is we're an experimentation-based platform. It takes a couple cycles, right, to get through the experimentation. So if we let you do a month trial of ours for free, you won't get value of it. You know what no. I mean? It needs two, three months. And so we're trying to, but us in marketing, like I want a free trial, right? Because I was like, I want something to get somebody into the platform to give it a try and then it'll sell itself. So we are working on that, but we don't know. What, yeah. It'll definitely not be of the full product experience. No, no. You know? But I think like we, we, we offer like a full-blown just also a free product for smaller companies and i think you know that was you know we're pro like essentially we're product and tech people yeah. and that was like we wanted that so we built that um yeah, yeah. and we have like all the same things you say like especially if you're a, like, a, like not a large but just like a a larger small company <laughs> you know it's hard to get value from from an attribution platform in in a month or like, right. But at least you can yeah. see that it's not a complete lie. You can see sort of things connecting and you've got like data flowing in. You can see all the data, you can see it connecting. And then you have to accept that, okay, hey, your sales cycle is actually like uh, six weeks plus you know, two months of uh, marketing cycle. Right. So you're not going to get full journeys until after, you know, 
six months, yeah. right? Right. At least yeah. see that, and and with the products that were that are also in the space that we're competing against now, you can't try it, right? And right. yeah, that would be a benefit. A lot of people yeah. have been burnt by trying to do attribution or buy products, and they just buy an, me, yeah, me, yeah. one of them, yeah, yeah. And at least, um, I, you know, you can try it and. You know, if it doesn't yeah. work, if it doesn't work. But... One, of the, one of the key things, and this may just be an idea, and maybe you already tried this, Jason, at Metadata, but um, one thing that we discovered that worked really well, if you know that you can produce results in an X amount of time, um, then you can just get a paid proof of value rather than a proof of concept. It's proof of value, mm. paid pilot, right? Um, our most successful go-to-market yeah. strategy yeah. is um, when it comes to getting rapid expansions, um, and I'll give a couple examples, is just a paid pilot that maybe costs as little as $5,000. I like to charge more than that because you want skin in the game. So we like to charge yeah, maybe right, $20,000, right. $30,000, depending on the size of the company. Yeah. But I think we did this first with Thomson Reuters a few years ago, and they had a paid pilot. I want to say it was 20000 bucks for maybe three months. And then they jumped to you know 150 k contract um after just a few months and it's yeah. because there was enough time for them to see enough traction and make the proof and when we do those right with a poc it's hard to justify doing a full implementation right but when we do the yeah. paid pilot we just treat it and we and we require them to treat it as a full implementation yeah and yeah. Um, even though it's shorter and it's usually three to six months somewhere in that time frame but if you have enough confidence under your belt, and it all depends on what stage of the company you're at, but yep. then that can work really well. We used to, back in the day when we weren't exactly sure the best use cases and all that, we wouldn't sell less than a, a, a year contract because we weren't sure if they'd get value in the first three three months, right? But now right. we're super confident in that. And, be, and because of that, we can do a POV. And I think it's um, it goes to, to the point of when you're in a new category, one of the big challenges is people don't trust that what you're doing will work because they don't, yeah. they don't they, otherwise yeah. if you have a category created, they trust the category, right? At least to some degree, we need marketing automation tool because marketing automation does X, Y, or Z. It gives these results. But when you have a brand new category, you have to come up with creative ways to show value that you don't normally get if the I mean, you don't normally need to come up with if the category is already there. And so I think we, we like this term proof of value rather than, and so we actually like set that. up with the customers. Yeah. All right, we're going to do it for three months. Here's the, here's the step-by-step process. Here's the target. And, and we ask them, if we reach these metrics, will you then buy at this rate? So there's already the yeah. deal is set up post, post trial, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, just yeah. some thoughts nice. on that. Yeah. That's a good approach too. Um, I like that. Yeah. And something that we're trying to think about. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about analysts. And so I personally have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with analysts <laughs> uh, just because, um, well, just, you know, the game, you know what I mean? It's like pay, meeting, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. They'll listen to you, you know, and they're expensive, especially for a series A yeah, startup. And totally. And so I'm, I'm constantly fighting this battle and with my AR PR reps, which I love um, about like how, what should I do if I feel this way and I want to be authentic? Like, is there a way I can do this and be authentic, but still influence <laughs> the analysts? And they're, they're not giving me the greatest responses, but I'm curious, Garen, how did you guys think about analysts 
did it start back seven years ago or did it, is it more important now? And how did, did they help or hinder really the category piece for you? Well, we're, st- we're right in the thick of that. So you know, I, can't nice. pro- I can't profess to have all the answers by any means. However, what I would say is that building the relationships is par- paramount. That's, and I'm learning from people who have deep experience with this. I've got a couple of advisors that have created c- categories multiple times and things. And, and as, I've, as I've learned from them and done research on this, and, and as we've tried to do some of this, it becomes clear that just building actual personal relationships yeah. So that that they care about you and about your company. Um, yeah. Now they they care about the category, they care about their research and their you know their reputation or whatever. But if you can get them to care about your category, I mean about you as a company. So as an example, we had one analyst, um, Michelle Buckley. She's a great analyst on sales um, operations and things like that, uh, built scaling sales and things over at Gartner and. Early on, I think in 2018, um, we were talking to her and she just fell in love with what we were doing. And so even though there wasn't a category yet and Gartner still hasn't declared the category, right? We're seeing it form from boutique vendors or boutique yep. analyst forms and things. Yep. But um, back then she, she, we built a relationship enough with, with her that she recommended us to be the, I think it's called the cool vendor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. recognition right which is sort of the, yeah. the highest recognition you can get when there's no category <laughs> yeah 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 and and so that was really powerful for us and helped gave it give us a leg up and and she introduced to, uh, us to other analysts now we had a paid engagement and this is always my big question is do you have to have one right. our vp of marketing our new vp of marketing swears you don't have to have one he's you know but i can't help but believe that the paid engagement has some influence right you can do the analyst right. briefing right, right. All day yeah. long, and they'll, they'll listen to you, but yep. you think they're going to put you in that one quadrant you want to be in? If right. you don't pay, uh, I highly doubt it. They might. I know. I know. Be unlikely. That, that's just my take on it. Maybe it's a right a cynical view, but <laughs> I think you have no, to pay I, to some extent. And that's where that's where I am at too. I'm like I'm in that same place as Aaron, where I'm like I know I can do it. You know what I mean? I'm like. I want right. to build this thing up so big and so like important that they have to, like, they don't have like, yeah, exactly. And so like, that's <laughs> my, but then I start to think, I'm like, maybe my head's a little too big, you know, maybe I need to play just a little bit, you know, play the game a little bit, but so far we haven't done a paid engagement with one. One of them is actually a customer of ours. So I actually use that to my advantage sometimes. So when I go talk to the other one, or even when I talk to them and their analysts, I'm like, well, if you really want to understand why we're so good, just go talk to your marketers because they actually just bought us, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that helps well, a little bit, but. Yeah, and here's the other thought is, uh, and I don't want to dominate this conversation. So just tell me to shut up if I am, but <laughs> I think they want to feel valued, right? Yeah. So it's yeah, not just yeah. about learning from us one direction. They want to give you advice. And yeah. so that's one thing yeah. I've noticed working with Gartner is because we have a paid relationship, actually the analysts are really smart. There's one guy over at Gartner named Rob Addy, who's really into pricing analysis and, mm. and, um, and Alistair Woolcock. I mean, these, these people are super smart. They talk to lots of companies and I actually think it's quite valuable to pose the problems you're dealing with as a company to them, get their input. And again, just, it goes both ways. If you will take their advice and it works and you build them up, well, they're yeah. going to love you because who doesn't love to give advice and see that it works, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 
That makes sense. Lars, how are you guys approaching your analyst relations, you know, as it relates to this? <laughs> you laugh. Because <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, 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 so far, we've declined uh, working with any analysts from, say, Gartner. So we focus all our energy on, on review platforms. Yep. And yep. I mean, they are sort of another side of the same coin, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it makes sense. So, you're, so do you guys even do, 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 do you even do briefings with them? What you're saying, Gary, and, and thinking about like uh, if I should reply to some of those emails and try to, to, to strike up a conversation with some of them, because I, I, I totally get what you're saying. But I would say, like you say, Jason, I always felt that it's a bit like, you know, when you're paying a consultant to do something, at least you know he's always 100% on your side. But I always felt that this relationship there is a bit weird. Um, yeah. Because yeah. It's like you're, you're half paying for, are you paying for advice? Are you paying for attention? It does seem like a weird relationship, doesn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, you know, it is. It's not like... It could just get complicated in like understanding what's actually going on. Like, I, 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 but you know, they say you like I like your company, but you say that just because you want to sell to me, or is it you actually like it? Or hey, you know, I think that this category that you're creating or a part of is just like skyrocketing. Are you saying that because you want to sell to me, or you know, is it just yeah. because you want to humor me and tell me what I like to think is true, right? So I don't know. We've kind of avoided it. I have um. One of my sales reps used to work at Gardner, and and I think we are also like compared to you, Garen, and, and also you, Jason. We are sort of slightly earlier than you stage wise. Um, that we've we've not prioritized it yet. But yeah, I, I'm listening to what you're saying, Garen, and yeah. I, I think I'm gonna maybe not tomorrow, but like over the next couple. I would, months, at, least, I think I would I'll, at least do the briefings, right? Yeah. Briefings don't yeah. cost anything. Um, you can yeah, do the briefings yeah, yeah. once every quarter or so. And I think yep. if I if yeah. I could do things differently, because I didn't understand this at the beginning, if I could go back six, seven years, I would have been constantly briefing uh, yeah. at least yeah. twice, at least twice a year. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, cost yeah. anything, would build the relationships. Um, and and then you have you, you already have some basis, some foundation when you want to step on the gas or build on top of that, right? Mm. Not to mix metaphors, build on top of that, you can. <laughs> then have that layer already there. And even though analyst briefings, I'd say is a pretty thin layer because it's free. And, you know, again, I don't, I don't, yeah. I honestly don't know. It'd be interesting to just have, you should bring on some analysts on the show, actually. Yeah, um, like we should, if they would be allowed to talk about it. Oh yeah, they probably can't. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could put them like the FBI informant, just you know, mix nice, up their yeah. voice you know, in the dark shadow. <laughs> that'd be actually a great no, episode, to be, be honest. Yeah, that would be, yeah, that'd be super, that'd be a great I, I one. I guarantee you that'd be the highest listened to or watched <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well, this is great advice. Yeah, I mean, and it's like, it's something I'm still struggling with. I'm trying to figure it out. But my new strategy now is, I still don't, I mean, I, I have enough to pay for a subscription, but I don't want to yet. I don't think it'd be a, a bigger percent of my pie than I really want it to be. Um, and so my strategy is working with my agency. We're just going to create a list of the analysts that we want to influence and prioritize them from like where we think we can have the biggest influence on down and then just brief. And then also what I'm doing is I'm pulling together a quarterly just email update for the analysts where I can just share like, here's some new logos we brought on. 
here's some idea. new product features. And I got that idea from actually a friend of mine who was an analyst at Topo. And then he left. And he's like, this is, this is something that not very many vendors did that I really enjoy. So like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to try that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we'll see how that goes. But I think I am going to have to, my, my goal is to see like, okay, which of these, after a couple briefings and meetings, do I think we have the closest, like we're seeing things the closest to, and then use that to determine which firm I actually pay for. You know what I mean? And then like and move forward with. And so that's kind of how I'm thinking of it now. We'll see how it goes. Um, yeah. And I think one of the challenges with analysts that the category isn't there is to even get them interested in that there may be a category. And yeah. this, is, this is the stage we're at. Other boutique analyst firms are declaring it and, and all that, but the bigger firms are just saying, oh, I don't know. Yep. Right. Yep. And so you've got to, you've got to really go into your persuasion mode, get customers on the calls with them, yes. with you, that. big customers yes. like yep. pop to your names and things so that, yep. so it makes them set up and go, huh, well, if Salesforce or SAP or whatever, they think that this is something then, um, you know, we should pay attention. Uh, and, and I think that's a lot of this, yeah. this effort you have to make at this stage is, is just convincing them that there may be a category. Right, right. Just pay attention to it a little bit. And I like what you said about customers, that's actually one of our strategies too. I think maybe it's also like, we probably sell into smaller companies than what you do. So we typically sell into say, SMBs like up to 500 people. Yeah. My impression, at least also with targeting, say very much sort of venture backed uh, stage, like series A, B stage companies. I don't feel that they're very influenced by analysts. I think it's also maybe about like what oh, you're hearing. Yeah, the, the smaller right. ones, right. I don't know what, what your yeah. question is there. I agree. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so that's kind of our experience too. They, they can't afford a subscription, so they don't, you know what I mean? And so they can't, they don't see it. And then so they don't use it as a point of reference, whereas your enterprises, they all have subscriptions to all of them. That's where they start, you know what I mean? And so like, if you're not in that list, sometimes you don't even make a short list of like what they're looking for. And so um, as you move up market, I think it becomes even more important on the analyst relations side, uh, I would imagine. I'm not there yet, but yeah. Um, Cool, okay. So uh, switching gears a little bit again, Garen, you mentioned customers. And I think that's something to not overlook because customers can really help you in this, category creation story. And that's what we're hoping to do as well is yeah. like you just said, take some of your bigger customers that have subscriptions and ha- ask them specifically to like reference or advocate for you, you know, with their analysts when they meet with them. And so I think that can really work. And we we had Deanna McPherson, I think from Invoca on here. And she was talking about mm-hmm. their strategy with that and how good, how well it worked for them just to basically get this groundswell of customers you know just to go and like talk on their behalf and that really helped and so i think that's well, I, you know, the analysts overlooked. just don't they don't have a reason to believe you right it's yeah if i do right. a brief and it's just like a new customer the customer just why do they, why should they believe you an analyst they know that we're gonna be as self-serving as possible because we're pitching our company we're explaining yep. right so they're going to be somewhat skeptical um and interested but skeptical and that's what you got to break down as a skepticism, obviously. And it's just just like a new a new customer, you've got to bring social proof in. Otherwise, yep. the analysts are just going to go, well, maybe, maybe. Let's keep talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Okay, I've got one more question for each of you, and we'll wrap this thing up. Um, what one piece of advice would you have for CEOs who are really kind of thinking about this category thing and like, you know, 
what they should do. And so, um, Lars, you want to start? Like, what, what, what's one piece of advice you'd give to like CEOs that are in an early stage and really kind of thinking about, well, should I do this category thing or not? I think that that's the very, like, that is the piece of advice is actually take it very seriously and look into it. I feel that we probably should have been more serious about it earlier on. Um, so like many things in, in the sort of go-to-market handbook, you know, if you actually do it, it's sometimes really worth doing it. So I would just say, think about it. And I'm not like, I think Garen's story also says, hey, yeah, going for category creation, that, that can work. I think I feel that we're fairly successful in playing into an existing category. So I don't think that there's like a do this yeah. or do the other, but at least think about it and, you know, I, I, what, what what's the right thing for you in the space you're in. Yeah, I think, think it's a lot about it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's important. I mean, yeah, not, you can't overstate it, really. Garen, how about you? So I would say two things. One is I'll, I'll share by way of experience um, in a sales cycle. So we were selling to um, a, a key, a lead, the worldwide leader of pre-sales enablement into Salesforce. And this is, I remember the first time I talked to him, we have a slide in our slide deck uh, that basically says, here's sales enablement. And then you've seen the, you know, the thousand logos. And then in the next to it, I said the pre-sales enablement, right? So um, at the time we weren't sure how to talk about the category, but I was basically saying, here's all the technology that's been built for sales. Here's the technology that's been built to enable pre-sales. And it was just us over here. So I would say, if you're going to, and, and he told me later this, that was one of the things that just blew his mind because he never sat back to think, yeah, nobody is building software for us. And so I would say if you have a category, what you're saying is you've defined a specific market that uniquely needs you and maybe a, maybe a few others. Now, you may be in a new category that's already well-developed, but I think most of the time we're talking about creating something new, so it's not well-developed. Don't be shy about saying, we are not these, right? We are not in this category. We are not sales enablement. And if you try to put us in there, we're going to, it's not going to go well. That doesn't make right. sense. We're trying to solve yeah. the same problems. We're over here. So, so don't be shy about stating your category. Um, and then the other thing I would say is just what, what we've been talking about, which is get out there and talk to vendor. Uh, I mean, the analysts, um, the, the analyst firm and the analysts try to build the relationships as early as possible. That's something I wish we would have done. And, and, and the customer thing, which we're still just beginning to do is get customers involved. I wish we would have done that sooner. And we've had great customers for a while. We, we're just now introducing them to analysts. I think we could have moved the analysts farther along mm. if we would have done that sooner. So I, I, yeah, that, this is a thing for me as we're talking about it. Just I need to talk to Aaron and say, let's make sure we double down on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Awesome. Well, hey, gentlemen, thanks for being on our podcast. Uh, really appreciate it. It was a great discussion. I think our audience will get a lot of value from it. Um, have a great weekend. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and will tune in again. Find all of the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. 